0: Welcome to the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. In this series, I'll be talking to business leaders from across the world of work who will be sharing their expertise to help you effectively lead your business, both now and in the future. Global mobility, moreover, the expansion of workforces overseas, is nothing new. But thanks to the vast host of productivity, management, and communication tools available, from Google Hangouts to Skype for Business Managers today are able to lead their international teams without even having to get on a plane. And whilst a globally expanding workforce is a strong indicator of company success, it can present its own challenges for a leader. Namely, the question of how one person can lead an international team from their home base. Today we're joined by Matthew Dickerson, Global Managing Director for Hayes Talent Solutions. In his 13 years at Hayes, Matthew has been based in offices across the Asia Pacific region and Europe successfully leading teams from opposite ends of the globe. And therefore, Matthew is very well-placed to share his advice. Hi, Matthew, and thanks very much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, thanks for having me.
0: So the first question I wanted to ask is, what would you say is the number one challenge leaders face when running an international team?
1: I think from my perspective, and probably many others would say this, it's communication, but there's an element within that that's additional to communication. And I'll delve into the communication in a bit, but to have effective communication across your teams, You need a level of trust across those teams as well, and that's trust in you as a leader, as part of that communication framework that enables successful communication. So one of the things that I do, obviously having worked around the world with many different cultures, is work on how do I build that trust with my leadership teams and the people that report into them around the world as well and how do I role model that trust and show them that I'm not just there to manage and lead them but I'm there to support them so one of the rules that I gave to myself in building that trust is whenever I go and see the people that work for me in different parts around the world and I lead five managing directors who have teams that sit underneath them in different regions around the world so the Americas, different groups within Europe and the UK and then also Asia Pacific and the cultural variations are quite significant within that. One of the things that I have as a rule for myself is whenever I go and see them I'm not there just to review what they're doing and to manage them. I make sure that when I'm in town I also help them grow and develop their business. I make sure I go and see external clients with them and help them be successful in the roles that they're in and lead by example. And I think that makes quite a big difference in them seeing me as a trusted leader that's enabling them and supporting them, not just managing them. And then that's kind of the framework that you can have successful communication within. And you know, leading people of thousands of miles away is quite a challenge. And sometimes people can be misinformed, misdirected. They can misunderstand communication that you think is quite obvious. So for me, it's also about then following up with formal and informal communication as well. So when you're actually talking to them on a one-to-one basis, making sure that they understand what your meaning is, and then following up later with further one-on-one communication. When you're also then looking from a perspective as a team and getting team meetings together, making sure that you're bringing the people who are less able from a language perspective into the team meetings and making sure that you've got equity within the team as well. So one of the things that I typically do, and I use video a lot in managing my teams and communicating across my teams is I make sure everyone has the same experience. So if there's a group of people say, one of my largest teams sits in the UK, they are not allowed to sit together in the meeting everybody has to get on their own pc and turn on their camera so everyone has the same experience so the person that are going sitting by themselves in beijing has the same experience as the guy who's sitting in london who has another three people who are also on the same meeting but they all look and feel the same and actually for myself it's one of the things i find really effective I actually sometimes have much better global meetings when I've got everyone on a video conference. I can see everyone's faces at the same time. I can see their engagement. There's some tools as well in the background. You can monitor their engagement. You can see whether or not they've switched to another. I don't do that, but they're there and available to you. But creating that equity and then from my perspective, making sure that I'm facilitating the process of that meeting and making sure I'm bringing different viewpoints in, And to a certain extent, making myself vulnerable in that communication and letting people see that it's okay to be vulnerable, that's how we get the best results, that there's an equity within that. And I think that's one of the things that facilitates better communication. And then after the meetings, so when I've got a structured global meeting, I make sure that I follow up with different people afterwards to make sure that they have the same understanding of the outcomes for that meeting as I do, because there are many instances where there's a slight nuance, a slight difference that if you don't address and make sure that they understood that part effectively, the very beginning, you can find yourself two or three weeks down the road and then doing something completely different to what everyone within the group agreed. And obviously from a business perspective, that's bad, but also from a inclusion within the group, that's bad because people within the group then start to think that they aren't contributing to the extent that they should be so for me it's one-on-one front-end communication then making sure that I have effective team meetings and that they've got effective communication across that and there's equity within it and then lastly following up again on one-on-one and reinforcing and making sure there's clarity in the messages
0: thanks Matthew so you touched on the vast cultural differences that you can experience in a large international team do you have any other advice for leaders on how to manage that specifically
1: For me, cultural diversity is obviously a massive benefit, actually, if you bring the cultural diversity to the fore and you show what the value of that is. I suppose from my perspective, it's getting your global leadership team to understand the cultural variations and understand why people put things in certain ways and why not. And it's, from my perspective, making sure that I have an understanding of people's perspectives and the context under which they operate, both from an organizational perspective and the culture within which they live on a day-to-day basis. I'm beneficial in that I've worked and lived all around the world. So originally South African did quite a bit of work and business in South Africa. So I understand African context, obviously worked then in the UK and Europe and understand the different cultures across Europe and then ran our Asia Pacific business for a long time. And so understand the variations, and you know, one of the things that I always find is people say, who haven't lived in Asia, they say Asia as one group, and it's not. You know, Asia's multiple cultures, very, very different. So for me, I suppose, bringing some of that to the fore, quite often in the beginning of meetings, so if I've got a meeting with a, a global leadership team, whether it's on video or the infrequent times we are able to get together as a team in person, It's bringing together and showing people what those cultural variations are and allowing people to articulate them and respecting those and kind of bringing out the value and showing the value of that. So it's more than that provides a context of understanding for the leaders who are operating in different environments. So, you know, I've got a leader who runs my Americas business who's based in San Francisco. Him then understanding what the guys in Shenzhen, China, are talking about in the context under which they're working and then cultural celebration for me is also something that kind of helps bring out and it was something that I learned when I was running Asia Pacific and was actually a guy that worked for me in southern China. He said to me, oh, it's Mooncake Festival at the moment so it's the norm for you to bring mooncakes to the people and take it to clients etc cetera, etc cetera. and so at the out of the back of that i got a bit of understanding again well what is a mooncake festival why are we celebrating it and then i saw the effect of actually celebrating that with the people and following their customs and norms and how much trust that built in the relationship that i had and how much better my communication as a result So it's bringing those things to the fore of my global leadership team for them to understand what's happening in other people's parts of the world and why they celebrate certain things the way they do. I mean, it's pretty simple, to be entirely honest. And it's just having a certain level of emotional intelligence to understand people's context and then make that real for other people around the room. You look at the teams I've got, say, in the Netherlands versus the teams that I've got in Germany. There's massive similarities, but there's also really big differences and making them understand what the differences are and what the value that, that brings to the fore. I
0: really liked your point about mutual celebrations. I imagine that must really help with team cohesion as well. What about teams working remotely from one another? How else can you help bring them together in order to better and more effectively collaborate?
1: It's obviously the best form of bringing them together is in person, but that's prohibitively expensive to do all of the time. I try to bring my global team together once a year, if at all possible, and spend a few days together, really brainstorming about what the future is and the things that we need to focus on, are we going in the right direction? And then following that up with regular global meetings, on a video basis, coming back to video conferencing. The tools that we have today are really there to enable us to collaborate and be able to talk as a global team and brainstorm. I think brainstorming is the right terminology to use as well as opposed to just having meetings. That doesn't mean you don't set agendas. I think it's very important that you set agendas and people know what you're there to talk about. And then also having people from different parts of the world with different areas that they have to contribute in the agenda so it's not my agenda right so i get everybody else to contribute to the agenda in advance of meetings and then i give responsibility for leading that part of the conversation or brainstorming session to different people and sometimes that's because they're the expert in that area and sometimes it's because i want them to be more vocal in the environment that we're in and to be seen to have more of a kind of leadership position within that so it's enabling kind of cohesion across the group and i think that's really effective in bringing those teams together and enabling good communication
0: and how about when it comes to hiring people to join an international team what traits do you think leaders should look out for specifically
1: increasingly from my perspective it's about emotional intelligence And also the soft skills, the skills of managing a business to some extent can be taught. So the soft skills and having emotional intelligence and understanding is one of the first things that I always look for in people. And then a previous exposure to working across different cultures and geographies is beneficial. If they've got a high emotional intelligence, it's not necessarily essential because they should therefore be culturally sensitive. But if they've got a previous disposition or experience of doing that, all the better when coupled with the softer skills. And then also kind of looking at the way they manage relationships. So are they proactive in the way they manage relationships? How do they adjust the way they communicate with people? And I quite often have very different ways of communicating with different people within the groups that I manage because I understand what their preference in communication style is. And just yesterday, I was chatting to um, a chief commercial officer and he was talking about his son. And the fact that his son never uses the phone to phone, it's all sending WhatsApp messages to friends and he couldn't understand it. It's like, you've got to pick up the phone and talk to people. And interestingly enough, from my perspective, I was thinking about it just the other day as I was walking home from the train station, that short form communication that requires a quick response. My preference of communication there is text message or WhatsApp or instant messenger because it allows for quick assimilation of the idea and response. And it's effective at managing disparate teams, lots of people, multiple reports. But you've got to adjust your communication to the people that are receiving that communication. So it's, it's using the telephone, it's using text message, it's using instant messenger. And then looking at people that you're managing, their ability to do that. And, you know, what's their preference and are they able to change their preferences? That's one of the things that I look at in people. One of the other things that I look at when I'm recruiting people for my management structure is their proactivity in communicating with me. Will they be coming and telling me everything that's going on in the business? Are they comfortable with me having a completely open door? And so, you know, at any time of the day or night, they can communicate with me. And if I'm up and around, I will respond to them. But then also their comfort that I will have an open line of communication with the people that report to them. Because one of the things from my perspective in managing a globally disparate team and teams that are kind of close to me is understanding the context of the environment within which they are operating themselves. And how do I add value to them in that? And if I only listen to their voice, I'm only getting their view. But if I hear the voices of the people that report to them, I can hear what's happening in the organization and I can help them make sense of what's happening in the organization and support them better. That for a leader who's reporting to me can be an uncomfortable position because it can make them feel like I'm undermining their leadership position. So from my perspective, something I've got to manage very carefully and make sure that I'm not doing that. But they also need to be comfortable that the fact that I am talking to the people that report to them really to get better context of what's happening within their business, so I can provide them greater support and not to undermine them. So their comfort and to a certain extent, I think, therefore, their own sense of purpose and their own sense as a leader that they're comfortable with why they've got that job and that they're not insecure or don't show the tendency to become insecure in the future is some of the things that I also look for when I'm recruiting someone in that position.
0: Just to follow up on one of those points you made earlier, would you say it's fair to say that with such a disparate team, there's sometimes a need for a much more fluid hierarchy?
1: Yes, and I think if you see kind of modern teams today, the old organisational hierarchy of you can have maximum of eight reports and all that is no longer rarely true, and so... I've got too many, I've got 16 direct reports and I I would love to change it, but I keep on trying to, and it doesn't necessarily work. So yes, I think there needs to be more fluidity in your management style and how you have your reports organized and more and more, it becomes how well do you lead people across a matrix because many times they've got me as their boss, right? But they've also got a local boss that's got a different part of the business. And so how do they manage that dynamic and how do you support them within that? So, yeah, I think the old school way of running and managing a hierarchical organization is quickly changing. And when we serve as clients, we look at how most of their organizations are changing as well. It's become much more how quickly do you adapt and change to the environment that you're in? And therefore, how you're enabling that with project teams that are executing on change programs. And for you to be effective at that, you need to have different project teams reporting into you at different times, which means the people that report into you change relatively regularly.
0: Thank you so much. That's some really strong advice there. We have one final question for you, and it's a question that we ask all of our podcast guests. What do you think are the top three qualities that make a good leader?
1: First and foremost for me, it's lead by example, role model, the behaviors that you want to see in others, support them in doing the same. It's your job as a leader to, as a group, come up with the direction, right? And then finalize on that direction and set the direction for where the business is going. Then from my perspective, it's putting the trust in the people that report in to you to execute on that direction. Empower them to do that and give them the space to be able to execute on it. Don't then try and step in and micromanage them. Trust them that they're doing what they need to do. Obviously, guide them along the way and be there as the sounding board so that you can identify when things aren't quite going in the direction you would want them to be. But you really need to set the direction, give them the space and empower them to do that and really resist closing the space down. When things aren't going perfectly, sometimes people's natural reaction is to close the space down really quickly and start to manage. And that removes all of that trust and space that you've built up over time. So resist the temptation initially. Try and guide first. Um, And only really close down the spaces when you're in a crisis moment and you know that things are not going to be successful if you don't step in and help. So, you know, from my perspective, it's my job is to set direction, guide, trust, and empower. Thank you
0: very much again for joining us. A
1: pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe to receive the latest episodes straight to your device.